This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. A uh, couple of issues uh, looking forward to discussing here with uh, our first guest. Now, obviously, there's the Olympics, which get underway in a week in Rio, and a lot of concern about whether Rio is ready for the Games. There's security issues there, there's political instability there, and there's a lot of health concerns there. I mean, there's certainly the threat of Zika virus, and that's kept some athletes away. There's the the polluted waters that uh, athletes are going to be competing in, and, and a lot of health concerns over that. Uh, so I, I do want to talk about that uh, with our next guest, who is actually uh, joining us here from Rio via Skype, but also to talk about his story this week in the Vancouver Sun, and it's a story that he's been following for some time. Uh, the issue around birth tourism, which I guess is pretty straightforward. If you're not a Canadian citizen, but you maybe like to be one day, if your child gives birth, it, well, if your child, let, me, let me take that back. If your child is born, if you give birth on Canadian soil, your child automatically becomes a Canadian citizen. Canada does that. The U.S. does that. Not many other countries do. And... There seems to be now a thriving industry in, in the lower mainland in B.C. to facilitate this, in Richmond especially. And, you know, the thing is you can't ban pregnant women from traveling to Canada. And I suppose if a woman's in labor, a hospital can't very well turn her away. And maybe in some cases it, it is just the case of, well, I'm just visiting, I'll pay my hospital bill, and then I'm going to go back home. Um, in a lot of cases, women are coming here explicitly to give birth in Canada and ensure that their children are Canadian citizens. And even in B.C., in Richmond especially, these so-called birth houses are cropping up. Little private businesses that are kind of operating in a gray area of the law, but making money uh, facilitating this. So I do want to talk about that uh, as we welcome to the program Bob Mackin. Uh, he's a, a veteran investigative journalist uh, based in Vancouver, but as mentioned, uh, he is in Rio with the Olympics uh, a week away and joins us via Skype. Bob, great to have you with us. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Well, first of all, let's talk about what's going on in Rio. I guess we're a week away from the opening ceremonies, but but a lot of concern about just how prepared Rio is for the Games and, and some of the, the many problems the city's still, still dealing with. What, what's your sense of uh, where things are at? Well, a lot of the international media attention has focused on all the, the challenges they've gone through here, especially the economic challenges, which have cascaded into other things. Of course, the health and safety challenges, uh, the, the poverty here. The uh, the streets are, are starting to uh, get populated by groups of uh, police officers and uh, uh, military members and with their, their, their rifles and uh, all the accoutrements. You're starting to see that now. Um, you're starting to see more and more of the Rio 2016 buses t- taking athletes, media, and others around the city. It's starting to become a little more more busy. There's some parts of the city where they, they don't have what's called the look of the games, all the decorations, the, the flags, and the banners. You don't see that in some parts of the city. So if you just you know dropped into certain parts of Rio, you wouldn't know that one of the world's biggest events will be happening in just a week. But uh, I assume that will change in the, in the next uh, several days because... There really is a race to get things done. There are some venues which are undergoing final touch-ups. 
I understand tomorrow the uh, the new subway, which will go from the Copacabana area to the Baja area where the Olympic Park is, uh, that will be finally open tomorrow. Uh, although it hasn't been tested for very long. So there's a bit of a, a, a hurry-up attitude here to get things done, to get things ready, but there's still a lot of questions, especially uh, some of the, the outdoor water venues where the open water swimming will be happening, where the sailing will be happening. Um, athletes have been told to keep their mouths shut for fear of uh, the dirty water yeah. entering their mouths and getting them sick. So there's still a lot of questions there. And, of course, the, the, the headlines uh, over the past several months have been about Zika, and uh, when I checked into the main press center in the uh, backpack that all the reporters get. There's a can of, uh, of off uh, insect uh, repellent. I brought some of my own uh, DEET from back home that I use for camping back home in Canada. Haven't had to use it yet. Um, I haven't seen a mosquito yet, uh, touch wood. Uh, the locals tell me that because it is winter here in Rio that it won't be much of a problem, if at all. And I was here for the Pan Am Games in 2007, and I don't recall... Uh, mosquitoes being a problem, but uh, they, they, the locals do tell me that the further north into the densely populated jungle you get, uh, the more uh, it does become a risk. But in Rio, it probably won't be as big of a risk as uh, the world media has been led to believe. But a lot of people here are taking precautions with DEET, with uh, long sleeve shirts, with pants, just in case. Yeah, look, look you, you. I mean, you've written a lot about the IOC. You wrote a whole book about the uh, Vancouver Olympics, Red Mittens and Red Ink, which you know speaks to what a mammoth undertaking these these games can be. And with the Summer Games, it's on a whole other level. Uh, and whether Brazil is a country that that can afford all of this, um, what do you make of that side of it? Well, the way the IOC works, uh, they work in these cycles. Uh, you, you bid for a number of years, two, three, four years. Sometimes you bid two, three, four times for, for a number of decades. Uh, Rio held the, uh, the Pan Am Games in 2007. That was really a, a test run for them to try to uh, position themselves for an Olympic bid. And they, they put that bid together and they won it in 2009. They beat out uh, Chicago, for instance, to get it in 2009. And if you remember back in 2009, that was shortly after the Great Recession the year earlier. And, uh, you know, we were enjoying it in Canada, actually, not having such a big problem with the economy because of the oil industry, the gas industry, the mining industry, because those industries, commodities, were helping countries uh, that were rich in those commodities uh, stay above water. And Brazil was one of those. Brazil uh, has uh, quite a lot of oil, and uh, they have been affected, similarly to Canada, uh, but Brazil in much, much worse uh, magnitude of the uh, the decline in uh, in the glut in the world's markets in oil and other commodities and because of that their economy here is suffering uh, as bad as it was in the 1930s so that has caused an extra challenge for the organizers of the games we saw that happen in vancouver for instance the vancouver won the games back in uh, 2003 when the economy was starting to boom and uh, just about a year and a half before the games in 2008 then uh, it went bust. Remember mm. the, the Great Recession and what that meant for the Olympic Village in Vancouver, which uh, the, the lender, uh, hedge fund out of New York, walked away from that. And it was left to the city of Vancouver to get refinanced and get it back on track and get it finished. But of course, afterwards, even more problems in selling the suites. And there were complaints about uh, shoddy workmanship. 
So extra effort had to be put into that big asset after the games to uh, to finally get it sold and to finally fix up all the problems and finally to uh, take the, uh, the, the the bad rap it had before and during the games off it and make it now one of the shining jewels of Vancouver. But we'll never know the true cost of the Olympics in Vancouver uh, because the, the Olympic organizers tend to uh, oversell the benefits and uh, kind of hide the costs. But you do get left with various uh, uh, pieces of infrastructure that will be useful in the future. And the new infrastructure here in Rio, uh, the new sporting events, uh, sporting venues, the new support buildings, uh, the new transportation infrastructure, that will definitely go a long way to helping the city in the future. But a uh, big missed opportunity by not uh, fulfilling the promise to clean the water in, in the, the, the areas that will be hosting uh, the outdoor water events. Uh, that's something that... Uh, uh, you know, Rio, which hosted the, the Earth Summit back in 1992, was supposed to be uh, helping the world become a more sustainable uh, planet. But here we have the, the water situation, the water pollution, which uh, I think a lot of people are crossing their fingers and hoping no athletes get sick. Uh, yeah, to say the least. Uh, Bob, stand by. I'm going to take a break. I want to come back and switch gears and talk about this birth tourism issue uh, in B.C. That's obviously got national implications. Bob Mackin, investigative journalist, on the line with us uh, from Rio. We're back with more right after this. Afternoons on News Talk 770, a conversation here with veteran uh, investigative journalist Bob Mackin. And I uh, wanted to shift uh, attention to the story, Bob, you've been uh, covering for quite a while. And you had a really interesting story this week. Uh, people can find it at VancouverSun.com about what the B.C. government knows about this birth tourism problem um that they've got some numbers they have some idea of the scope of this women coming to canada specifically to give birth here so that their children will be canadian citizens i guess first of all i mean just how big is this problem so that's that's part of the problem we don't know how big the problem is we know that uh, there is uh, something out there there's something happening and uh, it could even be tied a uh, bit of a legacy of the 2010 Olympics when a lot of people from China were tuning in and seeing the great images of Vancouver, the blue sky in Vancouver, because we had an unseasonable, unseasonably warm February that year. Uh, people in China saw that, and they also saw a movie that was uh, filmed in Vancouver called Beijing Meets Seattle, where Vancouver acted as Seattle. And that was about a woman from China who uh, decided to uh, get a visa and uh, go and bear her child in the United States to get instant citizenship. United States and Canada are the only two G7 countries which allow this. It's called birthright citizenship. It's essentially instant citizenship for a baby who's born in these countries. And we're starting to get a picture of uh, the magnitude of it. We don't exactly know how many are born every year. It, it, the stats from StatsCan suggest it's very small. Out of about 380,000 uh, births uh, back in 2012, there was about... Uh, uh, 700 non-resident births, but that that relies on the mothers actually declaring their citizenship and sharing uh, that information with the hospital, because it's actually not illegal. Uh, as long as someone has the proper visa to be in Canada, and as long as they're going to pay their hospital bills and bills for the doctor, they can come here and do this. There's nothing that uh, Canada Border Services Agency can do to stop them. But uh, we're starting to get a picture of it in, in the lower mainland of Vancouver and especially in uh, Richmond, uh, the suburb where Vancouver International Airport is. It's a suburb that is now predominantly uh, Chinese, ethnic Chinese, and is very popular with, uh, used to be very popular with people coming over from Hong Kong. Now it's very popular for people coming to visit or to live and buy real estate from mainland China. 
And last year, last fiscal year, there were 299 non-resident births out of about 1,940 births at Richmond General Hospital. And of that, 295, almost all of them, all the non-resident births were for mothers who declared their citizenship as Chinese. And uh, that's one in six babies. There's already starting to be... uh, couples uh, who have lived all their lives in Richmond who are complaining that they've been bumped out of uh, the maternity ward at Richmond Hospital and have had to go and have their child elsewhere in the lower mainland. Um, There's questions at other hospitals about uh, giving preference to locals. There's uh, also concerns about uh, whether all the hospital bills are paid for. But the other aspect of this is this grouping of uh, what what's called baby houses or maternity houses, essentially uh, unregulated, uh, non-registered bed and breakfasts, where uh, women will go and stay for lengthy periods of time uh, until they have to get to the maternity ward and uh, bear their child, and uh, that that might be the the biggest problem of this. Uh, there there is of course the the questions of citizenship. Uh, the questions of use of uh, uh, public services in the future. But the question, the immediate question that I think that uh, authorities need to deal with is whether the women are getting the proper care and whether there are risks to their health. What happens if there's a complicated pregnancy and a woman uh, is uh, left alone at one of these um, you know, baby houses or doesn't have proper round-the-clock access to a doctor? Uh, that's a big question that I think needs to be uh, answered by the authorities. Um, And and also whether there's profiteering going on. Uh, We've heard stories from uh, Washington State and from California that uh, women are charged $20,000, $40,000 for this service, for this bed and breakfast service, plus whatever it costs, the medical bills. Um, uh, are, are the people who are operating these uh, these facilities doing so with the best of intentions and doing so within the laws, uh, the commercial laws of Canada? But all this goes back to the biggest question, which is that the governments don't seem to be talking to each other and sharing as much information as possible. But the BC government, they do have an office within the health ministry that uh, does investigate uh, health fraud. They're the ones that uh, produced that uh, briefing note that told me that uh, as of February of this year, there were 26 of these birth houses in the Vancouver area. It didn't say which municipalities, but there's 26. Wow. Well, I mean, if the government is aware of them uh, and they're they're operating outside of the law, I mean, should the government be able to, to shut them down? Uh, I think they very well, if they were to look at it, uh, put all their minds together, uh, talk to the, the health experts, talk to the legal experts, they very well could. Um, they very well could, and especially talk to uh, federal officials too in Health Canada, in Canada Border Services. Uh, I think that's that's the problem here. And if you're reading through the briefing note, it indicates that uh, there is a bit of buck passing or a bit of jurisdictional issues that uh, come into play, that uh, the BC health authorities uh, seem to have done some research on on who is operating these and and that they're they're confident that there isn't anything uh, legal going on, but they also say that if there is anything illegal, well, that's for Canada Border Services to be dealing with. That's that's for uh, other uh, agencies and other governments. Um, I talked to people at uh, City of Richmond as well, and they have had complaints about uh, one of these birth houses, uh, but whether it's properly licensed as a business and whether it's uh, you know, a proper clean business, clean home-based business, 
uh, under the the municipal laws in British Columbia, they have to notify the person who is the subject of the complaint in order to schedule a time to do the tour for the bylaw officers. Unless, of course, it is such an egregious emergency situation that the police have to go in. But in normal cases, if it's just a bylaw complaint, they have to call ahead of time. And uh, they told me essentially their hands are tied. They called ahead of time to one of these places. They scheduled a time to do the tour. They went on the tour and found nothing untoward, which isn't exactly surprising because the people who uh, were the subject of the complaint, uh, human nature says that they want to put the best face upon whatever they're doing inside that house, which uh, the sources that I have who live in the neighborhood tell me that it is being operated as a birth motel and had, uh, as recently as last fall, been uh, advertising their services on a website for as low as $35 a night. Well, well and, you know, it just complicates matters even more if you've got overlapping municipal, provincial, and federal jurisdiction. But there is a lot of federal jurisdiction here. Obviously, we're talking about citizenship. Uh, so if a baby born here is considered then a Canadian citizen, it doesn't automatically mean the mother is, though, right? So what, what happens at that point? Well, the, the, the child, uh, it, it's almost like a gamble that the parents are, are making that, uh, you know, the child will be healthy and the child will want, uh, when the child becomes an adult, to come back to the country of their birth, the country uh, which they're a citizen of. And they're hoping that that child will, when uh, he or she matures, come back to Canada, bring the parents, essentially, and sponsor them so that they can become citizens right. uh, and, and help them live, live out their lives uh, happily. Uh, it, it's not a surprise why someone from China would want to choose Canada uh, and would want uh, to, to uh, uh, you know, go through this, this uh, uh, form of citizenship because in China, uh, there really is no social safety net like we have in Canada. People have to line up at hospitals for hours on end, sometimes uh, you know, buy better places in line. And uh, when they get to the front of the line and to see a doctor, they're not always assured of getting the best possible doctor. Uh, it, it, it's not a surprise why someone would want to uh, you know, come, in, come into Canada and uh, you know, want to take advantage of that system. Um, the government, of course, leaves the door open, such as they do in the United States, because, you know, we are countries of, of immigrants, uh, encouraging more people to come and uh, live and work and pay taxes. Uh, there are the, uh, the sponsorship uh, avenues to sponsor a family. Um, but there are people that want to get this, uh, this stops. We've seen this on the United States uh, political agenda in recent years. But in Canada, there's actually a woman in Richmond. Uh, named Carrie Starchuk, who started a petition through the new online system that uh, was launched by the Trudeau Liberal government, that uh, if she can get 500 signatures, which she has online, uh, then that petition will go to the House of Commons and the government must table it and must also respond to it. Uh, we don't know how they will respond to it, but it looks like they will have to because as of today, there's about 6,200 signatures on this online petition. The deadline for it is mid-October. So it is an issue that is getting media attention, and there's discourse about it. There's discourse about it in the mainstream English-language media, such as your radio station, but there's also a lot of discourse about it within the Chinese community in Vancouver and the Chinese media. Um, it, it, healthy discussion is good on this because, uh, you know, it is the future of the country and uh, citizenship, of course, shouldn't be taken lightly. But at the same time, uh, the country should still have a bit of an open door to those who want to contribute. Uh, so there's a lot of 
competing interests um, on this and uh, also major issues of uh, legality, of health, of safety uh, um, and of business that uh, will have to be discussed. And, uh, you know, now we're finding out more and more about the situation that there's 26 of these baby houses in Vancouver. Yeah, it's a fascinating story, as you say, and a lot of important issues uh, here. Uh, people can find the, uh, the the story this week at uh, VancouverSun.com. Bob, uh, thanks so much for making some time for us here this afternoon. Really appreciate it. All right, thank you. There you go, Bob Mackin, uh, joining us via Skype from Rio, uh, talking about the Olympics, but also this birth tourism story. So it is weird, isn't it? So you get these these birth houses that are essentially operating as unlicensed businesses, so that's a Richmond problem, just in terms of business licensing. Uh, you got the whole issue of women giving birth, that's a healthcare issue, that's BC's problem. And then, of course, you've got the big question that is the federal problem of People coming here to give birth so that their children become citizens. That's immigration. That's federal jurisdiction. Visa requirements, all of that. And look, the government's got to respond. Do they wait until it gets to a certain point? I mean, if it's happening 10 times a year, 20 times a year, do we just ignore it? And then it's 50 or 100 or 200 or 500. At what point does the federal government say, wait a sec, wait a sec, uh, we can't have people abusing the process this way. I mean, the U.S. does it, we do it, but other countries don't. And maybe that's something that needs to be looked at. We are a nation of immigrants. There is a process for coming here. This seems to be a shortcut, a backdoor way to citizenship. And we, you know, we shouldn't tolerate that because that's not fair to others uh, who are following the rules properly. We're going to break for the 2.30 news. When we come back, as I say, we'll open things up to uh, wind down the program here on a Friday. Uh, get set for uh, Angela and the Friday free-for-all coming up after 3 o'clock. But uh, our phone lines are open here uh, right now, 974-8255. If you want to jump in, we can read some more of your texts as well here. 77770. We're back after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.